Recovery Elevator, episode 221. We all have the power to do it ourselves. I think we just need the tools to do that. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Liz. She's from Frankfurt, Illinois. She had her last drink on July 7th, 2017. And she talks about how she fought to keep drinking and how she fought to stay sober. She also reveals how her body let her know the gig was up. And after we hear from Liz, I want to talk to you about how to approach diets and more specifically the proper mindset to have. And I have finalized the list of workshops for the upcoming Recovery Elevator Retreat this August 14th through the 18th, which takes place in Big Sky Country, Bozeman, Montana. We've got a workshop on meditation. We have a workshop with Clarity Breathwork. We have one on brain spotting. This is a guided safe way that reveals the why in our drinking. We've got a workshop on Hannah Somatics, which is building circuits through motion. Uh, we've got yoga every morning. That's how we're going to start off the day. And this is yoga for those in recovery. We've got a workshop on authenticity where we learn to give the authentic self a voice. We're also going to learn how to change the vibrational frequency around your story. This retreat was incredible in 2017, and I expect it to be no different in 2019. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information. I think we've got about 15 spots left. This retreat is going to be epic. Okay, before we go any further, let's hear from today's sponsor, Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that makes it easy to get vitamins, protein powders, and more personalized just for you and delivered straight to your door. Spring into a healthy routine. With the winter blues coming to an end, it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your healthiest. Care Of's online quiz lets you know exactly what you need. Care Of's fun online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. It takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed recommendation for vitamins, protein powders, and more. Taking care of your health should be easy and convenient. Care Of delivers daily vitamin and supplement packs along with protein and more, all customized to your recommendations, so you're only taking what you really need. Experience the Care Of difference. Care of makes sure you're getting vitamins and protein from the best sources backed by honest guidance and transparency. Vegan and vegetarian supplement options are available to match your dietary needs. Track your progress with the Care of app and earn rewards when you remember to take your vitamins. And right now, for 30% off your first Care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter Elevator30 in the promo code. That's E L E V A T O R 30. Again, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter Elevator30, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R-3-0. All right, let's get started. I want to talk to you guys about a common misconception that people have when they move forward in life without alcohol, and I know I was not unique with this. I thought when I was going to get sober that I was going to finally find out who I have become. Yay, I'm going to find out who I am. Well... This isn't how it works. Now, early 19th century philosopher Alan Watts calls this the reverse law. Now, the good news is we do eventually find out who we are, who we have become. But first, we must find out who we aren't. Now, in this process of finding out who we are, where authenticity will start to speak, we first need to figure out who we are not. Now, during this phase, 
People, places, things, ideas, thought patterns, identities, roles, and manifestations that are no longer in line with your new direction in life will start to fade away if you let them. Now, I encourage you to just let this be done. Allow it to happen. This is an important part of the journey if you let it occur. Again, all you have to do is simply let this process happen. Recovery is all about action, but this process is one of inaction. This is great news, guys. In fact, the only action that unnecessarily takes place is when you fight it. Do yourself and the endocrine system, which is your body's stress response system, a favor and let this process happen. You can fight it all you want, but it's still going to happen regardless. And guys, this process is neat. Again, the process of finding out who we aren't. Because during this process, things that cause stress, things that aren't in line with who we really are, they're just going to fade away. Again, if you let them. So this is a cool time in your life, a cool part of the journey. And like Jeff says in episode 203 of this podcast, this time of life can be an experiment. If you want to start kite surfing off the southern coast of Spain, yes, now is the time to try it. Go and do it. And if you've been going at this for a while and you're saying, all right, cool, Paul, I now know who I'm not. I get it. And some of you might be saying, I don't even know who I am. Because we will reach a moment when we realize who we're not, there is a middle ground, a crossroads, a tipping point where we say, ah, I'm not even sure I know who I am. To that, I say fantastic news because I can also tell you who you aren't. You're not a banker, you're not a doctor, a therapist, a mother, father, brother, etc. Those are all roles and identities. And recognizing what we aren't, we can then clear space for what we are, which is you are intelligence, you are infinite creativity, you are inner peace, you are love. It's when we identify with these previously mentioned roles where life can get tricky. And then alcohol shows up to quiet the voice of who am I? And this temporarily works, but now the voice of who am I is so loud. That's why you're listening to this podcast that the true authentic self is so close to emerging if you let it. And another thing, this will constantly be an ongoing process, an ongoing practice. I don't want you to think it's a yes or no thing, that it's a box you can check to say, okay, I now know who I'm not. Let me wait a little bit. And oh, cool. Now I know who I am, right? This is the process of life. We are always going to be deepening with this concept. And this is how this process looked a little bit for me in early recovery, right? So about two years <laughs> being sober, I walked out of the gym and I played football in middle school, high school, and college. I actually played on a semi-pro team when I owned the bar in Spain. Incredible opportunity. In fact, that seems like a different lifetime ago. Now, I was fighting genetics for a long time. I was perpetuating a role which no longer was serving me. And I walked outside of the gym and I looked at my dog sitting in the back seat of the car. It was a spring day and it just hit me. I stopped a couple feet away from opening up the car door. I said, you know what? I think I'm done going to the gym. Now, I want to be clear. I think exercise, diet, fitness, nutrition, etc., are beneficial to us in sobriety. Be careful. We don't play the addiction whack-a-mole game, which I did a little bit. I replaced running with drinking, which is a proper or a healthier coping mechanism, shall we say. But be careful that we don't replace running with, with alcohol. So I walked outside, saw my dog in the car, and I said, you know what? This identity, this part of my life is no longer serving me, and it is done. And... Simply that decision cleared space for me getting a mountain bike <laughs> and me and my, uh, my standard poodle Ben, 
We go mountain biking in the beautiful mountains of Bozeman, Montana, probably 15 to 20 times a summer. We snowshoe. I got those skis. Uh, they have skins on the bottom where you can ski uphill in some sort of fashion. I know the chairlift, you might be saying the chairlift works great. Well, skiing at Big Sky, Montana is about 150 bucks a day. So we went with the more, uh, the, the route where we get more exercise and I can also get my dog out and I can be in nature. So I found out that I can satisfy my fitness requirements, my fitness desires out in nature with my dog. Another thing I realized that isn't me is the movies. Now, I used to love to go to movies. I mean, I would see all movies that came out for the most part. Um, I no longer like to sit inside of a movie theater and watch as many movies. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love good movies just like the rest of you guys. And occasionally I watch a Netflix series like Ozark. Holy shit, that series was fantastic. But I don't watch TV or movies nearly as much as I do because I love to be outside. There are just other things that pique my interest more than watching movies or watching TV. Same thing goes with sports. I used to try to keep up with the NBA, NHL, NFL, college football, etc. And now, well, I'm not quite as strong of a player in my fantasy football league because I just don't care as much. I fought this for a long time, but now that it is just the new me, it's a beautiful thing. And another thing was how I went through life. I used to take ownership and pride in the fact of how much I could get done. Give me 50 things on a to-do list in a day and I will get all 50 and then I add five more at the end of the day. I'd get 55 things done in one day. That's no longer me. I don't like to go through life fast. I like to slow down and I don't like to multitask. That stuff is no fun. Not at all. That stuff builds up stress and I like to go slow. So in this process of getting sober and removing alcohol from our life, we don't first find out who we are, but we first find out who we aren't. And this can be a beautiful process if you let it happen. And before we hear from Liz, let's hear from Babbel. Today's sponsor is Babbel, the language learning app that will get you speaking a new language with confidence. I always wanted to learn Portuguese because when I lived in Spain and owned a bar, I lived with a Brazilian named Marcos. So I majored in Spanish, lived in Spain like I just mentioned, and the hardest part about learning a language is not hearing an authentic voice. With the Babbel app, you get just that. So Babbel is designed to quickly get you speaking your new language within weeks. Babbel's teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. Their convenient lessons are only 10 to 15 minutes. You can learn with interactive dialogues and speech recognition technology so you can perfect your pronunciation and accent. These awesome lessons are lovingly created by over 100 language experts, real people, not by a translation machine. Babbel is available as an app or online, and your progress will be synced across all devices. Babbel is the number one language learning app in the world. Right now, my listeners can try it for free by downloading the Babbel app or go to babbel.com. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Again, babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Liz, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. How are you? Liz, I'm doing great. Let's get right into this. Liz, how do you feel about Third Eye Blind? <laughs> I actually love Third Eye Blind. They're one of my favorite bands. I've seen them so many times. I forget what I told you. I think three to five times in concert. Yeah, yeah. I got your email. Yeah, that was like the last line of the email. I was like, oh, we got to get this gal on the podcast. She's got great musical taste. What's your favorite Third Eye Blind song? Ooh, I really like Motorcycle Drive-By, actually, which is a 
kind of a, a B-side, but it's a good one. Yeah, I got to go plain Vanilla Jane on this one, but it's Jumper because that's what I learned to play guitar with. I absolutely love that song. It's A minor, it's C to a G, and then if I sing it, I got to bring it down a half step, but incredible song. Nice. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Okay. Liz, I'm excited to hear your story. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm celebrating a year and nine months today, so this is a good way to celebrate it. Yeah. Congratulations. And so your sobriety date was July 8th, 2017, correct? Correct. Wow. All right. Yeah. I'm excited to hear more about your story. You sent me an email a couple months ago, and it was fascinating. There's some things that I really want to dive into. One line in particular, how you fought to keep drinking, then you fought to stay sober. So we're going to dive into all that. But before we get any further, Liz, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. We've already answered your favorite band question. Um, and are you married? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? So I'm originally from Indiana, but I now live in Frankfurt, Illinois. For a living, actually, I am a licensed board certified acupuncturist and Chinese herbalist. I am 29 years old, and I've actually been married for about three years to a really awesome guy. For fun, that's, you know, again, kind of relearning what I like to do for fun. But I do enjoy working out, hiking, yoga, reading. Um, going to concerts is a big thing for me. And I, I'm a big foodie. So if there's good food anywhere, I want to definitely check it out. So that's what I've been up to lately. Yeah, I love it. And give listeners background about your drinking, about your journey. Describe perhaps your drinking habits when you first realized that alcohol is the problem and needed to go. Was there a rock bottom moment? Did you ever try to moderate or control? Yeah, I'm excited. Bring us up to speed. All right. Yeah, I started drinking when I was about 12 or 13 years old, so pretty young. I did grow up as an only child in a pretty abusive household. So my parents are both still addicts and alcoholics, but just a little side note that just kind of helps you get up to speed. Um, I was sexually abused by my father and his friends from the age of eight to 10 years old, which will make sense here in a little bit, all of which kind of lay dormant until about the age of 21 years old. So with that, my, my father would give me drugs and alcohol whenever I asked growing up. So looking back, I really think it was kind of his way of just keeping me numb or keeping me kind of in a haze so I would never kind of speak up. So with that, like our house really became the party house, you know, all throughout high school, even into middle, even middle school a little bit. So, you know, with this territory and, you know, my house being the party house came, you know, a fabulous choice in men. So that led me to date an ecstasy dealer, which also spun me into that addiction with an overdose on top of, you know, still drinking alcohol. Some little, you know, highlights at the age of 20, I did go to jail for underage drinking. At that point, I did spend 20 hours in a drunk tank. I actually had a back brace on at that time. I had broken my back uh, in a doom buggy accident, which was actually a sober accident. I was actually sober at that time. Okay. I thought we were going to have a fantastic, you might be an alcohol gift line. <laughs> I but... wish. I wish. But no, I was sober at the time of that accident, but I got to sit in the drunk tank with my back brace. So that was a good time. But my friend's dad actually bailed us out. And when I returned home that day, my dad gave me a high five. So that kind of tells you how my parenting went. The culture. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Then my, my parents finally split when I was about 20 years old, and I decided to move to Chicago. And that was about 2011, so I was 21 years old. I moved into a studio apartment, and basically, I don't know if you've been to Chicago, but it's basically like a concrete playground. Like, it's filled with everything and all the bars, 24-7 access to all the partying. It got pretty heavy at that time. I mean, I was working full-time. I was going to school full-time and just spent all my other free time drinking 
whenever I could in between classes, after work, all weekend. Um, bartenders really became my best friend. And then I also did get into some cocaine at that time as well. Um, but I actually went to school to be an acupuncturist. So it's actually like a six year program. So in China, we're actually considered doctors. Um, but here in the United States, they don't consider us doctors. But wow. so it's like medical school, basically. Six years. I wasn't I didn't I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, a lot of people think it's kind of like a two-year program, but yeah, I had to get my associate's degree and then go to a master's program in Chicago. Now, is it like a med school for, for acupuncture? What's that process like and how is it different than med school, shall I say? It's pretty much the same as med school. You know, we go still through all of the, you know, anatomy and with, you know, being in this Western culture, we have to not only learn about Eastern medicine, but we also need to know about Western medicine. So, you know, a lot of our classes had both Western and Eastern medicine. And then we did clinical hours, you know, with the acupuncture and the herbs and things like that um, until we could be released, you know, to the public and, and take boards for our licensure. So, yeah, Liz, and I, I, I'm interested to hear your take on this. This is an exciting time for medicine because before it was all Western, right? Western almost completely rejected the Eastern thinking of medicine. And I think moving forward, and it's already started to happen. It's going to be more of a collaborative effort. And, and, and listeners, the, the, the basic underlying for Western medicine, when you throw up, you say, oh, poor you, you're sick. Eastern medicine, when you throw up, you say, congratulations, you're healing. So those are the two fundamental differences in the thinking. And it's cool that we're starting to blend the two. I know we're getting a little bit off track, but what are your thoughts on that? Of blending the two? I think, yeah, I mean, that would be the ultimate. I actually had the opportunity to go study in China in September um, at the hospitals there. And that's what they do. They have integrated hospitals. So not only do they, you know, do Western medicine, but they also perform Eastern medicine. So it was so cool to see how they integrated it, you know, because they would still use pharmaceuticals, but only for short periods of time. You know, they wouldn't have people on pharmaceuticals for years and years at a time because, you know, they believe it's just masking the symptom while the Eastern medicine can take care of the root of the issue. And we're seeing the proliferation of Eastern medicine in the form of yoga, right? In the last 40 to 50 years. And there, there are yoga classes now being offered in Silicon Valley daily before the corporate day starts. I think it's fascinating that we're starting to see a blend. And Western medicine definitely has a place. But Western medicine has come up short when it comes to autoimmune disorders, inflammatory disorders, addiction, issues such as cancer. And there's definitely a spot for acupuncture. I've got into it. I've probably been 15 times last year and a half. And acupuncture is, it's neat. And let's talk about that a little later. I know I was the one asking the questions, but uh, let's go back to your story. Yeah. So I, you know, working through this program in school, it got very difficult, you know, to keep up with my addiction. You know, it was, it was definitely exhausting and it made me feel like a phony. Here I am, you know, all day treating people naturally, telling them not to drink and to eat this food. And then here I go right after, you know, clinic running to the bar to go, you know, pound a bunch of booze. So that was, you know, kind of the, the two personality kind of thing that came up. But I, I knew I always had a drinking problem, you know, but I always blamed it on my rough childhood. I had parents that I had to parent. So now that I was on my own in the city, it was just like, it was full on out. You know, I would just, I did whatever I wanted to do. Hey, hang on. I got to ask you a question, Liz. That might be one of the first times your episode 221 that somebody said, I always knew I had a drinking problem. Usually it's opposite. We, including myself, I didn't know I had a drinking problem, even though I did have a drinking problem. And then it took a series of events to shine a light on the fact that I did have a drinking problem. And you're saying that you knew you had a drinking problem. Please explain. I'm so curious. 
I mean, I just, I knew once I started drinking at 12, 13, that I was, I was drinking to mask something, you know, Mm. to cover something up. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, I had a good time sometimes when I was drinking, but it was always a a numbing kind of agent for me. Not so much so, you know, feel good agent. It was like, I want to suppress what I'm feeling. I want to suppress what I'm feeling. And I, I just knew, I knew at a young age, like, that's not normal. I don't think I should be using a substance to try and black out or try and forget things. Wow, what awareness and listeners big beings get started early. You're way ahead of the game. Nice job. Thank you. So yeah, I think it was just the way I learned how to cope with everything was drinking. You know, my parents were that way. Are you happy? You drink. You sad? You drink. So I knew I needed help. So I did find an addictions counselor in Chicago. Within the first session, she was straight up like, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're a sex addict. She's like, you need to go to AA, you need to go into inpatient therapy. And despite her harshness, like I knew some of it was true. So I kind of stuck with her, but I did not go into inpatient therapy at that time. And you might have been the first patient to be like, yeah, totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I was like, mm, okay. I mean, I think that's a little harsh, but I'll give you some of that. Oh, that's funny. Um, so I was seeing her twice a week. Um, and then I went to group therapy sessions once a week, all during this time, you know, still drinking. But during this time is actually when all of the sexual abuse started to surface for me. So it was very interesting, you know, when they talk about now that I know more about like the subconscious and things like that, but just how your body protects you, you know what I mean, from traumas and the way that it, yeah, the way that it deals with it. So it was very strange. You know, we were in a a session and she kept asking me, like, have you ever been abused? And I was like, no. And then I went home and thought about it. And then all of this started just pouring out. I mean, just one, one memory after another. Wow. And then and, and this is, you're talking with the counselor about the stuff and, and I'm confused. So you, like, you didn't remember this stuff before, or it was just so suppressed that there was a story that you're saying it didn't happen. Right. It was so suppressed that like when she's asking me, I'm like, no, I don't think so. And then I went home that day and just really kind of sat with it, you know, cause I always had a feeling like something, you know, something had happened and then it all just started brushing out. And, and it's interesting now going, you know, further into therapy and different forms of therapy and learning how the body protects itself when you're at that young of an age, you know, you don't know, your brain doesn't know what to do with it. You know, it knows it's unsafe, but it doesn't know how to function with that. So it just kind of suppresses it. So it, that was very interesting when it all started to come up. So yeah, with this, obviously, you know, the, all of this coming out, I just decided to drink and drug it away. So the downward spiral of my addiction just really intensified. And so when was this in the process? You got sober 2017. Were you starting to deal with these past traumas in 2013? Yes. Gotcha. And what was that like when that stuff started to bubble to the surface, which again, that's what's supposed to happen. We had protective mechanisms in place, mostly the protective personality or the ego that would suppress this stuff. And that served a purpose as well. But eventually this gunk needs to be cleared and we all have it. It bubbles to the surface and it looks like you did some of this with hypnosis, the work with a therapist. What was it like when this stuff first started to come to the surface? Did your addiction ramp up? Did you try to suppress it more? Yeah. Walk us through that process. Yeah. Like I had said, the the downward spiral of my addiction really, it really intensified. I mean, really hardcore to the point where like I was still very functional. Like I would still show up for work, not in the best state. You know, I'd still show up to school. 
but it was, yeah, I was diving into heavier to alcohol and to drugs and to blacking out, you know, almost every night and things like that, just to try to, to numb it. Because if I didn't too, if I didn't go to sleep drunk, I would have these vivid night tears too of everything that was, that had happened. So to really suppress that, I actually had to drink in order to sleep. So yeah, yeah, so it really, it really got heavy. And to the point where, you know, the guy I was dating at the time, he had mentioned his brother was seeing a hypnotherapist. And he's like, well, maybe you should try, you know, a different form of therapy. And so I was like, sure, why not? So his mom actually bought me four sessions. So I went. And for those of you that aren't, you know, familiar with hypnotherapy, this hypnotherapist actually practiced hypnoanalysis. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have not. Basically, what that is, is they get you into a state of hypnosis, which is basically a deep state of relaxation. You'd go through kind of like a guided meditation to get to this state of relaxation. And then while you're in this state of relaxation, they believe they can access your subconscious. So during this, in this state, you do therapy under the state. So yeah, it was a very, very interesting and different form of therapy because I've done talk therapy my whole life. And, you know, at a certain point, and I, it works for some people, and I think that that's great. But for me, I felt like I was almost beating a dead horse, for lack of a better terms. Um, you know, I kept feeling terrible about it, and then there was no tools to kind of move forward from that. Uh, okay. So this was, this was kind of a, a whole new spin on it where they believe you're almost rewiring your subconscious and rewiring your brain to not, you know, think or feel those ways. Gotcha. So you're starting to feel these feelings. Your addiction is really ramping up and you're, it sounds like you're fighting to keep drinking. You're at a crossroads here. What happens next? So I met with this therapist, this hypnotherapist, and she was very, how do I say, very cut and dry. You know, she, she assessed me. She was like, you need AA. You really need to quit drinking. She basically told me that she didn't really want to work with me unless I was willing to stop drinking at that point. And I told her I wasn't, you know, I'm like, I, I, I'm not willing to stop. I, I can't handle it. You know, I can't handle what I'm feeling. I, I don't think I can do it. So she was reluctant, but she said that I might not get much, much benefit from the hypnosis because my mind would be fogged from the alcohol, but I insisted on trying it. So I showed up for every appointment twice a week for about six months. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty intensive, but it was the most intense, like crying until you're empty therapy that I've ever been through. We really, we went through all of my childhood traumas, but so intensely and detailed, Paul, that like you could, I was like in the rooms again. Like you could smell the smell in the rooms. That's how like detailed and deep you could get into these scenarios again. So it was very scary. It was not easy work by any means, but I relived the trauma and then healed it like in ways that talk therapy never did. Now, is the body confirming that you've healed this? For example, those past emotions have an energetic charge, and it sounds like you relived them moment by moment in those rooms in a safe environment. Now, when you think about those, is the energetic charge gone? Yes, yes. And that's something that we would do. We would reinforce, like do some reinforcement. So one treatment we would do, like go back to a past trauma, revisit it. And then the next time I would see her, we'd do reinforcement. So we'd kind of bring back up those emotions and see how my body reacted to them. Wow. And so we would keep doing it until that pattern kind of had broke at that point. Yeah, that, that, that's incredible. And there, there's, there's a foolproof lie detector test, which is called the body. Now in our journey, we might have a, a, a big resentment towards somebody when we say, you know what? I let it go. Not a big deal. And in the future, something will trigger that and boom, we'll feel it in the body. Apparently we haven't let it go. So listeners, if you're wondering, yeah, if something's been dropped, a past trauma has been worked through and you don't know it or not, that's okay. Cause the body will always tell you the answer. And 
And Liz, it sounds like you did some tremendous inner work that was hard. Nice job. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you're, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Nice job. Thank you. Yeah, and what happens next? So, yeah, I just continued to see her, continued to keep drinking, pretty much at the same level, I would say. You know, I really didn't change too much uh, going through all of this. I did finish school, and that was about the end of 2013, October of 2013. And I decided to move out of Chicago. You know, again, a geographical change. I'm like, oh, if I get out of the party scene, I won't party anymore. Okay. Yeah. Some of them are geographical changes, but some of them are, there's some good strategy behind it, right? We actually did our very first recovery elevator meetup in Chicago, I think 2016, incredible city. But yeah, if you're struggling, it might not be a bad idea to, to, to get out of that environment. So yeah, there is some strategy there. Yep. But yeah, I did the complete kind of opposite. I moved in with my now husband. He's a farmer and we moved to like farm town, Illinois. I'm talking like one stoplight you know, one grocery store. So very different from downtown. But my drinking and drug use, it slowed, but it was still, you know, very present on the weekends. So, you know, I would still black out. I would have wicked hangovers on the weekends. Like my whole weekend would be shot from a hangover. But I did, I began to make changes. You know, I cut off all communications with my father. You know, that was kind of an ongoing thing for a while. I cut ties with my city friends. I put that, I put it in quotation marks because they weren't truly friends, my party friends. I tried to moderate at this time, you know, I would, you know, only try to drink a certain type of drink or I'd only, you know, try to have two drinks. But this is an interesting part and I don't want to ruin it because it was going to be my, um, you might be an alcoholic if, but we'll, we'll redo it. Um, but I actually started breaking out in hive from drinking. So literally I would have one drink, it didn't matter what it was, would break out in hives from head to toe, just full hives. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like I, what, what is going on? So of course I'm like, oh, it's whiskey oh, it's beer, you know, and trying all these different things. And it didn't matter. So it, I actually started taking Claritin every time before I would drink. And then that would prevent the hive. Wow. Yeah. I, I had this highlighted in my email and I'm glad you brought it up because a fantastic, you might be an alcoholic if line, but B I've never heard this, but it makes sense. If you've dealt with past traumas and the unconscious mind and the conscious mind are on the same page that it's time to quit drinking, the body will manifest a physical response that says, hey, Liz, every time you drink, we're getting hives. Yep. You can't ignore this anymore. Yep. I mean, it was bad. I mean, like, you couldn't go out. Like, I mean, my whole face was, like, swollen and hive. So I would take Claritin sometimes <sighs> two, three times a night just to, like, if I felt it coming on, like, if I was at the bar, I'd be, like, go in the bathroom, take another Claritin, like, just to keep partying because I was like, oh, I just, I, this can't ruin my time. So after that, you know, I kept doing that, but my hangovers were getting really bad. I mean, even after, like, two to four drinks, I would be hungover for, like, three to four days. Yep. There's another clue right there. It was getting, it was just getting really annoying. So I got engaged in December of 2015 and I got married in August of 2017. So July of 2017 was actually my bachelorette party weekend. So, which I know, I know a lot of you are probably thinking I like went all out super wild, but for me, like I probably had four drinks each night that we were out. So it wasn't really bad. My last one again was being on the 7th of July. So my sobriety date being the 8th of July. So in July, there wasn't really a rock bottom moment for me. So Liz, this, this part of your story is why I wanted to get you on the podcast. And I highlighted, you said there wasn't really a rock bottom moment for me in July. I was tired, tired of living a double life, tired of hating myself, tired of feeling so numb. 
but this is not contemporaneous with the with the normal stories. If we hit a, a rock bottom moment, almost the pain reaches such an acute accumulation of pain that we quit drinking. And the reason for this, correct me if I'm wrong, is you are addressing the higher level questions. You put the work in the therapy sessions. You addressed your past trauma. You addressed the why, and the how solved itself. So essentially, your body was like, okay. We are, we are becoming whole with addressing the past traumas, listening to, the, listening to your body's reactions, the body's cues, and the how solved itself. The why was more important, and the how just, you just were like, I'm done drinking. It, it, it's incredible, because when we address the higher level issues, the lower level problems, such as addictions, can simply go away. Incredible stuff, Liz. No, that's a good way to put it. I, I guess I've never thought of it in that way, you know, but yeah, no, that is, that's, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. And let me try to rephrase it a different way here, right? So there's one way to quit drinking is we are going to avoid the aisle in the grocery store that they sell alcohol. We're going to avoid the sports bar that we go to all the time. We're going to avoid Tim, Mike, Cindy, and Rick. Those are our drinking friends. And we're going to remove all the alcohol in our house. That's one way to quit drinking. And we're going to be successful for a period of time right? There's another way to quit drinking where you can go inside. You can meet with a therapist. You can do a hypnosis. You can go do acupuncture. You can go do yoga and don't really worry about the drinking all that much. I know this might sound strange, but focus on the why, the why you were drinking, the past traumas as a child that accumulate in life. And all of a sudden the results, which are addictions, whether it could be the alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, food, sugar, exercise, that list goes on and on. Those can sometimes just fade away, which I think is what happened here. Wow. Nice job. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I just always remember like being so mad about, about alcohol. You know what I mean? Just so mad. I'm like, why did I do that? But I really believed it. I feel like I needed to continue to drink to deal with the trauma and to work through it because I don't think my body could have handled that, you know? And that's really what my therapist said is she's like, you need to give yourself some grace because I don't think your body could have, you know, could have gone through that is basically what she was saying. So viewing it more as, okay, it helped me get to this point, And now, you know, now I don't need that anymore. Totally. It was a coping mechanism. The alcohol served a purpose. You learned more healthy hoping skills and coping mechanisms. And here we are. Yeah. And, and so what was it like after you quit drinking? What was the first couple months? Like you said, you did go to some AA meetings. You got a sponsor, worked up to step six, and then mm -hmm. it kind of fizzled out. The body said, maybe we don't need this right now. What was it like in early sobriety? Right. It's, it's kind of hard to remember like early sobriety. I remember being really scared of everything. You know, I remember like not wanting to go anywhere, not wanting to see anybody just to not wanting to have to explain while I wasn't drinking and really like feeling things was so new to me, you know? So I remember being like so nervous about feeling something. So I was, and I still am relearning everything like who I like, who I don't like, what I like, what I don't like. Apparently, like, it's just weird, but I don't like swimming. <laughs> like, I just, I really don't enjoy it. I don't like being in pools. I don't like swimming. But, you know, drunk Liz, she loved to swim. So, so it's just things like that, that is just, you know, it's a whole new world, which is, you know, it's super exciting, but it's scary all at the same time. Liz, what's happening is your authenticity is starting to show up. <laughs> it's beautiful. Right. It's beautiful. And walk us through maybe what was the first year like, and then what was the second year like? Second half of the second year. So first, first half year, of the second year, you get the point. Yeah. 
Yeah. First year was really just like continuing with my therapy. You know, I would see still my hypnotherapist about at that point, probably every other week just to kind of walk through that. Really, it was just cutting ties with people. It was trying to really, I haven't built up a sober community. You know, I'll be honest with you. And I, I was very first year, very, very quiet and shy about my sobriety. I mean, I told my core people, obviously, like my husband, my closest friends, my family, they all knew that. But really from the outside world, I don't really tell people about my sobriety unless asked, obviously, if I want to drink. So really just kind of learning, getting my footing before I would open up about it. I did AA, like I said, I would go to a women's meeting every week for about probably six months. So I liked that. I enjoyed my time with that. I just felt like I said, I, I kind of got to a certain point in the steps and my my sponsor wasn't really on me too much and really wasn't like super motivating. So I think if I had had a different sponsor, I think that would have been a different um, story for me. Yeah, I did that and I'm trying to think what else. I listened to your podcast. Ah, thanks for listening. Yeah, it's been it's been great. And it that helped me too, I think, to realize I feel like I'm in my own bubble a lot, you know, and I'm not around a lot of people that are, you know, suffering with addiction. And so having your podcast has been a blessing because it's it's just helped me realize like there's so many young people out there. There's people of all ages that are dealing with this. So that's been very comforting. And Liz, I want to comment a little bit more on your swimming pool comment. I want to clarify a misconception that I had and a lot of people have when they move forward in life without alcohol. It's, I'm going to quit drinking and find out who I really am. That isn't quite what happens here, and you exemplified this perfectly. So philosopher Alan Watts had something called the backwards law, and this is how it works in sobriety. We must first find out who we aren't before space is created to find out who we are. And the finding out who we are process is exciting. It's fun. It's, a, it's an experiment that we need to go through life, trying all kinds of new things. But first off, we need to find out, you know what? Maybe I don't like to swim. You know what? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I don't like road trips. Maybe I don't like this. Maybe I don't like to camp. And we, uh, that's when the authenticity is starting to emerge. And it's an exciting time. And, and, and talk to us more about acupuncture. I know listeners are curious of how acupuncture can be helpful in sobriety. So acupuncture, basically the biggest thing that acupuncture does, it's I'm obviously puncturing the skin with a needle, but when I do that, blood will actually rush to that area. So the body actually responds like it's been injured, right? So just like when you get a cut, right, what happens? You bleed, right? Blood rushes to the area to heal the area. Same thing when I puncture you with an acupuncture needle, your body doesn't know the difference. So in terms of like, let's use pain, for example, right? If an area is inflamed and I put a needle into that area, it's automatically going to rush new blood flow, take down the inflammation, heal the area. So it's very successful for pain conditions that usually gets people in my door. Um, but when it comes to more like emotional um, anxiety, you know, addiction, things like that, acupuncture can actually release endorphins. It can help with serotonin levels, even to the point of I've gotten a lot of my patients off anxiety meds, um, antidepressants, if that's a goal of theirs, obviously, and just really helping with overall cravings. You know, I, a lot of people come in the door to me to help quit smoking. So there is a whole protocol. They call it a NADA protocol which stands for just helping addicts like get that under control and get the cravings more so under control at mm -hmm. that point. So yeah, from that standpoint, it's, it's very beneficial. We used to treat even like people with post-traumatic stress disorder out of school. So like veterans um, that have come, you know, from war and then also just addicts that were in the city themselves would come in and we would do just protocols in the ear itself. You didn't even necessarily have to do the full body. 
just to help with the cravings and just to calm their system down. Yeah, my experience with acupuncture is it helps release emotions that I didn't even know was there. For example, in one session, I, I, I just had this, this airplane would go across the sky and I could hear the airplane. And it took me back to my childhood where I was just so bored and lonely, right? And sometimes after these therapy sessions through acupuncture, I'm in a difficult emotional spot for a couple hours, but then I'm always, I always feel so much better afterward. And the next day I'm feeling fantastic. Uh, It's really interesting. And listeners, I encourage you, if you haven't tried acupuncture, give it a shot. Definitely. Yeah. And that you're referring to probably to more of like energy blocks, right? Because, you know, the Chinese believe that blood and energy flow together in the body. And if there's a blockage, you know, an emotion can usually be stagnant there. And then when you move that, yeah, you'll feel that it'll start to come up. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. And Liz, how has your life changed in sobriety? Oh, man. In my life, it's really changed in so many ways. I, I do finally feel content, you know, and no longer that running, like searching, that feeling kind of feeling. I, I guess the best way to describe it, as I'm sure many of you have felt, is that just that restless feeling, you know, and just constantly searching to be filled and fixed. And whether it be from a person or a substance or it's exhausting, you know, and and I don't have that feeling anymore. And I, I, I really think that that is one of the biggest things. I really I really didn't think that life could be as full as it is, you know, and, and I was always running around trying to fill the emptiness inside me with exterior things. But when I really, I think, you know, we all have the power to do it ourselves. I think we just need the tools to do that. You're answering the questions before I ask them. That was my next question. You said when I, you realized that you had the power to do it inside the whole time. Expand a little bit more on that, please. I mean, I think when you're dealing with addiction and you're making mistakes and you're, you know, just feeling like that drowning kind of feeling, you, you just, you beat yourself up so much, you know, to the point where you don't have a lot of confidence in yourself. Or, you know, for me, I felt like I don't deserve those things, right? I don't, I don't deserve to feel good. I don't deserve to be healthy. And then realizing obviously where those feelings came from and why I felt that way and kind of rising up from that made me realize, you know, I do deserve this. And that, and that's something I still work on on a daily basis. But I think we all feel guilty as addicts because, oh, I, I messed up so bad here. Like, I don't, I don't deserve to feel this way. I hurt too many people. I did too many bad things, but we do deserve it, you know, because we, we've been through a lot and, and we kick ass and we deserve it. We do. We, we deserve it and we've earned it. Exactly. The people that I meet at the recovery elevator retreats, they are some of the most compassionate empathetic, happy, just, I mean, they're, there's, they're so way, they're just about to burst with joy and contentment. And it's so fun to see people stepping into the next role of their lives and listening to the inner self that says, Hey, let's do this. Let's be happy. We no longer need an external substance to fill the inner void because right. inside the answer has been there the whole time. And all we're doing on this podcast Liz, is simply reminding people of what they may have forgotten along the way. And, and that's what I've realized. That's, that, that's all we're doing. Because in, internally people know, deep down they know, and, and the emotions will bubble, the, the body will eventually lead the way, but we're trying to speed that process up with these little nuggets of information is what we're doing here. And one more question before we hit the rapid fire round, Liz. What's on your bucket list in this new life? Oh, my bucket list. I, I, well, I really want to travel. You know, I went to China, like I said, in September, and that was more of a... Um, you know, through my business and, you know, learning more about Chinese medicine. But 
ever since then, you know, that was a big, that was the biggest travel I've ever done. You know, it was, it was a big deal and I was by myself. And so that was really, ever since then I got like the travel bug, you know, like I'm going to go everywhere. Um, I really want to go to Australia and New Zealand. That's like a big one on my list. That would be my next conquered thing. And also I really want to find like a good yoga retreat. I would like to go and just like go on my own and just kind of unplug a little bit. But in terms of my bucket list, I also, I really would like to help others. I don't know if that's something that like in the beginning, when I first got sober, I really wanted to jump into it. Like I wanted to go into like, like sexual abuse support groups. And I also wanted to use my acupuncture to help addicts and just really dive in. And my therapist kind of like scaled me back a little bit. She's like, let's just wait a little bit longer. Um, until, until you have more sobriety under your belt. But I, I really, on my bucket list, honestly, is to be more open about my sobriety. I, I know that sounds weird because it's not like a thing, but I, I just want to rid the shame. You know, we're all badasses and I, and I don't want to be so shameful of it anymore. And then I would love to get involved with a sober community and almost be like more part of creating sober events for people in the area. Liz, it's cool to see people move forward in the role of a healer. Mm-hmm. After after addiction takes more of a, a backseat role in their life, and look at look what I'm doing. I went through addiction big time. Got a podcast. Right. You right. are doing acupuncture, right? Right. Um, a, guy, a guy named James who came out just a couple episodes ago, and I interviewed him in early sobriety, and now he's a recovery coach. Yeah. So it's so cool to see this thing go full circle. Yeah, and absolutely you want to talk about it because we all realize the stigma's bullshit. Exactly. And it has to be talked about. And there's nothing wrong with us, anyways. And Liz, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in then 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? I actually ended up in a hospital in Memphis for alcohol poisoning. Um, so that was a pretty bad one. And also not having memories, you know, just waking up feeling unsafe. That's, that's a big one as well. We've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment that you knew that drinking had to go? Well, the Claritin thing, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Um, When you couldn't, basically when I couldn't make it through a full day of class, you know, without going across the street to the bar, waking up without a phone or a wallet, um, getting arrested for underage drinking. Those are all big ones. And what's your plan moving forward? Kind of like what I said, just, you know, being more open about my sobriety. You know, again, I would love to use my acupuncture background to help other addicts um, and then just really being part of a good sober community. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, This podcast, definitely. And then obviously hypnotherapy as well. And Liz, thank you for listening. And thank you for reaching out. And I love hearing your stories. By far my favorite part of doing the podcast is hearing stories. So thank you. Thank you. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, Probably you are not defined by your past traumas. Uh, Drinking is not going to fix anything. You know, it's just going to continue to mask it. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I, I wrote work on your shit. And I know that that's probably not the best way to put it, but working on your stuff, just working on your trauma. Um, you have to work on figuring out why you were drinking. You know, go see a licensed professional, dig into it. Um, it's not going to be a good time, you know, but I think it is necessary for successful recovery. And I always say, like, you have to meet your demons. You have to get to know them and then you have to make peace with them. I agree fullheartedly with that. Yeah. Work on your shit. Don't ignore the shit. Because if you do, that's okay. Eventually, it will get so loud, you can no longer ignore it. (laughs) Systems are built in place. And before we depart, Liz, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcohol gift line. 
you know what's coming. Oh yeah. So you you might be an alcoholic if alcohol gives you hives, but you take a Claritin and drink anyway. Liz, that's going to the book. Do I have your permission? The good one. Yes. Love it. That's one of my favorite ones I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, Liz, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Let's talk about diets for a second. And alcohol can even be included in this because you're removing alcohol from your diet, shall we say. Stop eating a certain diet in hopes to avoid something. Or be careful about having your main impetus of moving forward in life without alcohol in hopes of avoiding something. You want to make these switches in your diet, removing alcohol, out of love for yourself and embracing the fact that you're whole. Let's look at coffee for a second. Don't drink coffee because you don't want to be tired, but drink coffee because you want to be awake so you can take advantage of the day and be present with the day. Don't go for a run because you want to lose weight, but because you want to add value to your life. You see what I'm getting at, right? So be cognizant, be mindful before you move forward with all these tasks to enhance your life, that you're not doing it out of a mindset of lack, that something is missing or something needs to go, but instead tell yourself you're doing it to enhance your quality of life because you love yourself. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. This is an inside job, always has been, always will be. I love you guys. Uh-huh.